Ruin you for life if you had a picture of that. Laugh at it every time. Stupid man. And, and then Steve walking around as a deer. I, I, it was hilarious. It, was, it really was. It was hilarious. This, these are the words of Malachi. These are the last words, or close to the last words, in the Old Testament. Setting the stage, as it were, for what is to come. Uh, you get done with Malachi, you move on to, you move into the New Testament then. He says this, <clears throat> Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity to to teach and to learn once again. Uh, we, we, we've already done this today, and we get to do it again, sing praises, to, to, to feast upon your word, Father, to perhaps change the way uh, we see your creation, we see uh, your brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. Father, we ask that you help us open our minds, open our eyes to receive your word. And Father, also help us to be accurate, to be true to what you write, uh, whether it's easy or whether it's hard, that we may apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, uh, we will be a couple of places in Scripture today, but if you want to go to Ephesians chapter 4, that's the first major section we'll get to, Ephesians chapter 4, and then Philippians chapter 3 will be the next section we get to, but we're going to have to jump around a couple different places this week. Um. Yeah, yesterday was uh, trick or treat. Uh, I think today is Halloween, though. I'm pretty sure, technically, right? Uh, you said, uh, yeah. So that's twice. That's two mistakes in, in, in one day, Luke. Wow, you've hit your quota. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. And yeah, there was a lot of crazy things. There was some funny stuff. Uh, there was a lot of crazy costumes and masks. That was just a good time. It was a lot of fun. Even though it was pouring down rain or cold or whatever, it was a lot of fun. Um, and, but, but you knew, you recognized some of these folks. Now, I will say, with Denver, I did not recognize him. He was sitting under the shelter house, and I was looking at him, staring him in the eye, and did not recognize who he was. Uh, and then when I, when I did recognize him, I just, I, I just lost it. It was just hilarious, just this wonderful feeling. You know, and sometimes we say that we, we've we've said things like this, and you've probably said it. It's nice to see a friendly face. You ever said something like that, or thought something like that? It's nice to see a friendly face. I don't know what a friendly face looks like. Um, I'm not. I don't know if that's it, uh, but it is nice to see a friendly face uh, or a nice face, <laughs> right? You, you can't compliment people on their face, can you? You can compliment people like on their shoes. Hey, nice shoes. But you can't say, hey, nice face. 
You can't do that, right? I don't know why it works, but, you know. But maybe it's not a friendly face we're looking for. Maybe it's a familiar face. We're looking for a familiar. It's nice to see a familiar face. But the fact is, I've seen people that I've never met before in my life and take some comfort in that when I see them or when I talk to them because I'm away from my town or maybe I'm away from my culture and I see somebody or hear somebody and I say to myself, boy, it's nice to hear or to see a friendly face. And so maybe it's not friendly. Maybe it's not familiarity. Maybe it's just good to see someone, notice someone, realize that there's someone out there that you have a connection with, that you have a connection with. I'll tell you, you've, maybe you've been here. Maybe you've done this. You could travel the world. You could see the sights of the beautiful and wonderful things of different cultures. You could be staring at the Himalayan mountains and hear off in the distance, oh, H, and you're looking around. Who said that? Was, forget about the mountains. i got to find this, you know. And you respond. It's like, it's like Ohio's version of Marco Polo, right? You don't know where it's coming from. I-O. And you'll track it down, you know. The Grand Canyon could be in front of you, and you're looking around for this familiar sound or this familiar face. We do that from time to time. It's good. It's good to be in a crazy world and know that there's someone there that you have a connection with that is familiar, that is a part of whether it's your kingdom or your culture, or your family, it brings a great deal of peace. Sadly, I think sometimes we lose a lot of peace that could be there because we look at or look for the wrong thing in people. We look at or look for the wrong thing in believers in Jesus Christ. Last week we found out, or we were reminded, of what the church is or who the church is. It's those who have given their lives to Jesus. That's the church. Uh, we don't have to make it any more complicated than that. And, and you can get into some of the study and some of the understanding, but, but that's what it is. Those who have given their lives completely over to Jesus, you represent me, you stand for me, you save me, you are my God, my Savior. They give their lives to Jesus. And today we ask the question, where is the church? If we know who the church is or what the church is, where is the church? And if we're going to ask the question, where is the church? Eventually, you're going to have to stumble across the question, is the church in places or in people that I disagree with? We have disagreement, don't we? I don't know about you, but I've disagreed with one or two people in my life. I was, I, you know, I, I, was, I was the only boy in a house of all girls. I, my life was a disagreement. That's all it was. One big disagreement, you know. I've been there, and that's family, right? And that's what we're talking about, our brothers and sisters in Christ. What about the people we disagree with? People we disagree with who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Because I can promise you, once you give your life to Jesus Christ, doesn't mean you think the same way everybody else does. It doesn't mean you understand the same thing everybody else does. I can pretty much guarantee you there's things about Scripture you understand that I don't, and I understand that you don't. So what happens? What happens when there's someone we come up against that we butt heads with who have given their lives to Jesus Christ? 
It happens. If you don't think it happens, read, skim through quickly, if you want, all of the letters that Paul writes to the churches in the New Testament. It is one big disagreement. That's all it is. Just arguing and fighting around. That's why he wrote the letters, maybe except for Philippians. But all the rest, that's why God writes these letters through Paul. Because he wants to address these things in the church. And so that happens between believers in Jesus Christ, people who give their lives to Jesus, people in your backyard, people on the other side of the world. What about people you disagree with? Or people that disagree with you, if that's possible. People do things, they say things, they even believe things that you disagree with. They interpret Scripture in a way you disagree with. And again, all of this from someone who believes in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. After all, that's what Jesus says I'm going to build my church on. He says, I'm going to build my church on this profession of faith. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He never said he's going to build his church on perfection. He never said he's going to build his church on agreement. He said, I'm going to build my church on the one thing that we can rally around, that I am God and I am your Savior. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It begins to affect the life. It begins to change the life. It begins to change the mind, the eyes, what you hear, the way you see. But this is a process. I told you last week to remember a word, sanctification. Sanctification. We'll get there in just a moment. And so there are big things you disagree with on, small things you disagree on. There's political things you disagree on. There's social things you'll disagree on. Are they the church? And if they are, how in the world does that work? After all, we can't both be right. We can both be wrong if we disagree, but but we can't both be right. Shouldn't we be united? I mean, isn't that what people say? This is what the church is. This is what the church ought to be. This is what the church... Shouldn't we be united in everything and in all things? I I mean, it would be nice... That's a beautiful picture. I wish we could just stop there and move on, go home, eat the pot roast. Shouldn't we be united? I wonder what God says specifically about being united in the church. First of all, in this unity of the church, let's ask and answer the question, what leads us to give our lives to Jesus? What, what, is, the, what is the ultimate why? You hear about Jesus. You hear about the Bible. You hear about the Word of God. What ultimately leads us, what ultimately clicks inside of us that says, I need to start looking for or finding out who this Jesus guy is? It is this realization. Don't overcomplicate it. It's this realization. We all come to it. There is a God who has a moral standard, and I've broken that moral standard. I don't know any more about it than that. All I know is... There's a God. He's got a moral standard. I know He has a moral standard because I've seen other people break it every time I say that's not fair or that's not good or that's not right in somebody else's life. So I know He's got a moral standard. Somebody's got a moral standard. There is a God. There is a moral standard, and I've broken it. That's it. Now we begin to ask questions. We begin to ask questions like what happens now? If I, if I come to this realization, what happens now? Or, or where do I go? Or what do I do? It has to be that. Because if there is no God, then who cares, right? There's no moral standard. There's no reason for us being here. There's no reason for tomorrow. If there's no God, we don't care about this stuff. If there is a God and He doesn't have a moral standard, once again, who cares? We can invent our own. You can invent your own. I'll invent my own. Eventually, they're going to come to an impasse. We're going to hate each other and 
you know, that's just the way life's going to go. All right? So if there's no moral standard, who cares? So there is a God, there is a moral standard, and I've broken it. I have to recognize that I've broken it because if I haven't broken it, who cares? I don't need a Savior. I don't need to be saved. I don't need to worry about anything. I don't need to think about anything. I am perfect just by existing, we think sometimes. No, there is a God. He does have a moral standard, and I've broken it. So how do I get to the realization about this moral standard? Well, that's the Holy Spirit of God working in our lives. God himself working in his creation. John 16 says this, very truly I tell you, it's good for me. It it is for your good that I'm going away. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Unless I go, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, he won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him. And when he comes, he is going to convict the world of, 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 about sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to prove the world to be in the wrong. You can put it that way. We can ignore this conviction or we can investigate it. That's what the Holy Spirit does, working in the lives and minds of creation. Works in yours, works in mine, works in our hearts, and works in the heart and minds of the guy down the road on the guy on the other side of the world. And everybody has this, this, this working of God in their lives. Now they have a question, a decision to make. Do I want to ignore it or do I want to investigate it? Something inside me isn't setting right. My mind, my heart. Do I want to ignore it or do I want to investigate it? Those who come to know Jesus choose to investigate this conviction in their lives. And then the other questions begin popping up. All right, what do I do? Where do I go? That's where the same spirit takes you by the hand, leads you across the room. And he says, I got answers for that. Let me introduce you to somebody. We get introduced to Jesus Christ. It comes in many different ways. Sometimes it's a teacher that does that. Sometimes it's a student sometimes, or a fellow student. Sometimes it's, a, it's a, a parent that does that. Sometimes it's a preacher. Sometimes it's a church. Sometimes it's a co-worker. I mean, it just works in many different ways. He says, let me introduce you to Jesus. Uses instruments to do that. The same spirit that convicts us ends up leading us across the room to know Jesus. And we either accept who Jesus is or we don't. We either believe it or we don't. If we believe the spirit, listen closely now. If we believe the spirit, we give our lives to Jesus and we're saved. And we are the church. But please note, would you pay attention here for just one second? If you haven't been for the rest of this. We accept Jesus. We are the church. That's day one. That's day one. Right? That's not day 101. We are children in our walk. We are not learned professors in our walk. We're children in our walk on day one. We believe in Jesus. We've given our lives to Jesus. And I got news for you. We don't even know everything about Jesus. But we are the church on day one. I don't know at this point that I have broken all of the moral standard of Jesus Christ. I will know as I study. I'll go into some of Paul's writings, go into Galatians, and realize that I've broken part of the law, that I'm guilty of the whole thing. But I don't know that right now. I don't know all the different parts of the moral law that I've broken. All I know is that I've broken one or some. I don't even know what the definition of this moral standard is. All I know is that I've broken a part of it and I've broken myself. Because of that, I've given my life to Jesus and I am a child in my Christian walk. 
Look, repentance is turning around, but I still need help to determine which way to go after that. I'm learning. I'm growing. And I'm learning and growing with my ideas and my opinions and things I know and things I don't know. And as I'm doing that, I'm going to come in contact with another child growing in their walk with things they know and things they don't know and their opinions and things like this. Let's just stop there. Can we already now begin to see how the church can disagree? How we can have some friction? How we can butt some heads a little bit? None of these people are evil. None of these people hate Jesus. They've given their lives to Christ. They believe who He is, what He is. And that's as far as they've gotten so far. And now they need to grow. They need to learn. They need to understand. They need to build this understanding in their own lives. But we encounter them. We encounter them in our churches, in our homes. We encounter them in our cultures. And we need to know how to deal with this, how to understand it when we get to this, what we call a battle sometimes. I mean, there's a few, before we get into this fight, there's a few ground rules we need to, we need to cover, okay? Number one, no hitting below the belt, all right? Well, let's face it, in my case, no hitting above the belt. Just don't hit, okay? That's, that's number one. Number two, some ground rules if you're going to have some disagreement inside the church. By definition, the, the church, regardless of various disagreements, must agree that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the one and only God. That's what you're believing in. If one of us doesn't believe in that, one of us is in the church. All right? Might be a nice guy, but one of us is in the church. All right? Number two, Jesus is fully God and fully man. If we disagree on this, then one of us believes in a human invention of Jesus. Therefore, one of us is not the church. All right? Number three, the Word of God is authoritative, eternal, and inerrant. As John puts it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We cannot believe in Jesus and not believe in the Word of God. I'm going to stop right there. We can misunderstand it. We can misunderstand it. I would bet, if I were a betting man, that you don't know all there is to know about the Bible. And I can guarantee you, I don't. We can misunderstand the Word. Boy, that's an issue, isn't it? Bob misunderstands the word. Joe misunderstands the word. Now we got Bob and Joe calling each other evil, and they just hate Jesus. Isn't that nonsense? Isn't that nonsense? That's not the way we live. Now, that may be the way a million other people live. That's not the way we live. That's not what the church is. We have to believe the authority of the word. We have to believe the inspiration of the word. But through that, we're going to mess it up. We're going to misunderstand it sometimes. Luke called me out on one the other day. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. By the way, if you could surround yourself with people that will call you out on this and help you and teach you and guide you, well, that's an incredible life right there. That's, that's, that's an amazing thing to have in your life. I got plenty of people to point out my mistakes. Um, all right. I can guarantee you that sometimes we misunderstand the word, and that's the reason we're here today. We need to be taught. We need to, our eyes and minds to be open, right? Number four, the word of God does not address every specific situation in our life, nor does it give us a finely laid out blueprint. 
with a bunch of rules and regulations. If you need that, read the Old Testament. In other words, the Bible is not an equation that if you cover A, B, and C, then D is going to happen. And finally, number five, we are created in the image of God. We have separated ourselves from that perfect image, and we need somebody to make it right again. That's it. You got to understand that. If you're going to be the church, those are things you just need to understand. Now, Ephesians 4, I told you we were going to get there eventually. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, there is one body, one. Already we see that there's some unity. By accepting who and what Jesus is, there is one body of Christ. There's not two, there's not many, there's not a million or a thousand, there's not each individual person is the body of Christ. There is one body of Christ, those who believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. By the way, there is one body, this helps us answer the why question a little bit later on in our series. There is one spirit, that's the same spirit that convicted you and convicted the guy down the road. It's the same spirit that led you across the room to introduce you to Jesus through one of your teachers or through one of your friends or through the church or whoever it might be. There is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, that is one Jesus giving us one, one salvation for eternal life. Certainty, not uncertainty. One hope when you were called, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, one God, God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. Already we see that there are some indisputable facts between two people who are in the church. Furthermore, we see that there must be, by its very nature, some sort of unity in our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Read that again. There's a lot of ones in that passage. As we just learned, we start our walk as children in our faith as broken images of God. But then we accept Christ. And what does Jesus do? Jesus allows us to be stewards of this life that we have given him. If he didn't do that, then there'd be no disagreement. I mean, if we gave our lives to Jesus and Jesus says, okay, he says, I'm going to knock you out and I'm going to live through you right now. I'm going to say what, you want, what I want you to say. I'm going to hear what I want you to hear. I'm going to understand. I'm just going to control everything about your mind. There'd be no disagreements anywhere. But that's not the way it works. We give our lives to Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, you can be stewards now of this life. And stewards make mistakes, don't we? And we have disagreements, and we're trying to figure out how to be a good steward. Church just grew last week, right? We got a ways to go, don't we? You and me, we're growing in this understanding of the church. And so we get to be stewards of this. And because we are stewards, we can make mistakes. We can grieve the Holy Spirit because we're broken. It requires a helper in our lives, a helper to give us this, to show us this sanctification. It requires a helper in our lives to grow in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts, understanding, proper interpretation of that facts, and wisdom, the proper use of those facts. And by the way, between Wisdom, <clears throat> excuse me, between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, knowledge is the easiest thing that you can gain. And we don't even do that sometimes. Knowledge is simply the accumulation of facts. Here's the book, read it. Whether you understand it or not, you can still gain the facts. We don't even go that far, right? You ever show up Sunday morning, you wake up, get ready for church, time to go to church, and you get, blow the dust. Here we go, let's go to church, right? Let's go praise Jesus. We can gain facts. That's the easiest thing that we can do. Understanding requires asking questions to make sure that I do this, to make sure I understand this fact the way I'm supposed to. Where does wisdom come from? Obedience. How do I apply these facts in my life? Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. This is the process of sanctification. It's the process of every child 
who has given their life to Jesus now begins to go through. But you and I are stewards, aren't we? So we get to command this life, even though Jesus owns it. Are you going to prompt this? Is this something you're going to go through? Do you want to grow? Do you want to learn more? Do you want to understand more? Do you want to gain knowledge, wisdom, and understanding? Because you have the ability to make that choice. The helper that we have in doing all this is God, the Holy Spirit. It's a gift that we are given when we accept Jesus. He is teaching. He is guiding. He's directing. He is convicting. He is even opening opportunity to understand. But that same spirit works in the lives of other instruments in order to help us grow. In order to help a believer grow in their understanding, he works in the lives of other instruments that Jesus has put in your way. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. Just jump down to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So it may be built up. That's a process. Until we all reach unity, that's a process. In the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, that's a process. Attaining to, that's a process. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be children, right? Then we'll no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth with this teaching and that teaching and trying to figure all this stuff out. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. All of this is a process going from when we accepted Jesus to this refinement, this completeness, this total fullness of Jesus Christ. We're justified in a moment. We are sanctified over time and obedience. You know, any farmer that's not, well, crazy is going to go out and plant his field, and then he's going to give it time. I mean, I don't, I've never met a farmer who goes out, plants his field, and comes out the very next day with a combine and just sits there and waits. It'll happen. It'll happen. you got to give that time to grow. you got to give that time to mature. But unfortunately, isn't that the way so too often, I don't think every time, but too often, Believers treat other believers. You've given your life to Jesus Christ. You've professed the name of Jesus. I know that you have. I've heard that you have. People say that you have. I've read that you have. Whatever. You give your life to Jesus Christ. you got to know everything right now, man. you got to know what I know. you got to agree with what I agree on. you got to understand what i got to understand. you got to eat all this stuff right now. And if you don't, if you disagree, if you're not there yet, you must hate Jesus. I've heard that. I've heard it. you got to be real careful, church. Be real careful. We are a broken image of God. And the disagreements between two people who give themselves to Jesus is what Dr. Cultural rightly calls incomplete sanctification. Not evil, not deserving of scorn or ridicule or separation, but still incomplete. You don't know all there is to know about Scripture. I don't know all there is to know about Scripture. What do you think Jesus meant when he says, don't judge? Don't judge these people because by whatever measure you're going to judge them, that's what you're going to be measured against. He's not talking about recognizing sin. He's not talking about teaching and correcting. He's not talking about discernment there. He is talking about an understanding of the sanctification process. There are people who give their lives to Jesus. They're children in this, and they need to grow in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Well, you may ask, aren't there false teachers? Aren't there people who profess Jesus and really couldn't care less about Him? Aren't there people who are deliberately 
trying, doing every, whatever they can to put themselves first, Jesus second, and lead everybody astray in the meantime? Well, the answer is yes. Moving on. It will continue to be. That's why you grow in knowledge. That's why you grow in understanding. That's why you grow in wisdom. That's why you get to know and see and understand and feel the genuine article in your life and in your mind. So when the false article pops up, you can see it, you recognize it, you know it. Watch the fruits, watch the life, watch the direction, watch the obedience, watch the submission. And you'll see the false teachers in your life. It is going to happen. But just because it's going to happen doesn't mean that we need to give our lives over to false teaching. We don't always apply what we know perfectly. In fact, I would go so far as to say that maybe you in this room have grieved the Holy Spirit at one point in your life. Why do we even have this power to grieve the Holy Spirit? Again, because we're caretakers. We're the students. The Holy Spirit's the teacher. He's not the oppressor. He's not the tyrant. He wishes love and obedience, not slavery. He corrects. He disciplines. He even punishes in his discipline. But he doesn't yank your life away. It doesn't turn you into a puppet or a machine, robot. You, me, and others are just incomplete in our sanctification. When Sam does something or says something wrong, you know, I don't call him evil. (laughs) I don't call him stupid, right? I don't do that. You're laughing at my son now, Cindy. Come on. Thought we were friends. I don't call them evil. I don't call them bad. I don't call them wrong. You don't do that with your kids. I, I, well, I don't know, Cindy. Um, I don't think you do that with your kids. Right, okay. What do we say? What do we say about our kids? He doesn't know, right? Say he doesn't understand. But we don't stop there, do we? We say he or she, he doesn't know yet. He doesn't understand yet. We know that they will one day know, that they will one day understand. We can come across brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, and in our minds say, this is a child of God, this is my brother, this is my sister, but they not, may not know yet. They may not understand yet. Yes, the person that sets your teeth on edge, that might be the one you're talking about. That's my brother, and he just doesn't know yet. He doesn't understand yet. Or the one that really sets your teeth on edge, the guy in the mirror, right? He doesn't know yet. He just doesn't fully understand yet. He doesn't get it yet, but he will. And this unity will be drawn to its completeness, to its conclusion, as we know just as we are fully known, the way Paul puts it someday. But even Paul says he's incomplete. Paul says he still struggles with the same thing, the same trying to figure this out between him and other people, between his own, and, and the battles in his own mind. We'll be in Philippians 3 in just a second, but I want to start it out with Romans 7. So I find this law at work. This is Paul writing about himself. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, make me a prisoner of the law of sin, work within me. I mean, he's struggling here. You know he's struggling. Look at verse 24. What a wretched man am I. Back and forth and back and forth and here and there and temptation here and struggle here and trying to figure this out here and walk this Christian walk and get it all figured out. Is Paul the church? Well, sure he is. 
Does he still wrestle with this incomplete sanctification? Does he wrestle with this incomplete perfection? You better believe he does. Every day. The difference between the wisdom of Paul and so many others is Paul recognizes it. He realizes he isn't perfect, and everybody he's talking to isn't perfect. He sees them or tries to see them through the eyes and love of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, preachers and teachers, any preacher or teacher worth their salt that I've ever met in my life corrects themselves all the time. They realize they've taught something incorrect. They ask questions, and then they figure it out. They change this understanding of the Word. But just because we have a disagreement, just because we and others are not in our completeness yet, never means that we should just quit or disassociate or hate that person or step away. That's where the perseverance part comes in. Again, from Paul, Philippians 3, 7 through 16. But whatever were gains to me now, I consider a loss for Christ's sake. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I, look, I consider them garbage that I could gain Jesus Christ and be found in Him. I'm not, I'm not saying I have a righteousness of my own here that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now he just, he just gets into his own head. He just starts talking about himself here in verse 10. Look, guys, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to even go so far as participate in his sufferings and become like him in death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this. I haven't even arrived at my goal yet. Look, I hate hero worship, but come on. This is Paul. I press on, though. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Again in verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not yet consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He struggles. He doesn't know it all. He doesn't have it all figured out. Paul! But he says, I'm not quitting. I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep growing, and I'm going to keep loving, and I'm going to keep understanding. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And this is a great line here for our purposes. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God's going to make clear. That, too, he's going to help you understand. Only, you got a job in the meantime, let's live up to what we've already attained, what we already know, what we already understand. Let's live up to that. Keep walking the path of sanctification. Live up to the righteousness you received through Christ. So where is the church? If we take this seriously, where is the church? That's the church right there, those who relentlessly pursue Jesus Christ. Now, look, we'll talk about the fruit and evidence later in the series. So if that's the church, where is it? People have asked before, you know, are you at the church? Well, the answer technically, I suppose, is always. But the answer is always for you as well. If you've given your lives to Jesus, you are the church. Every place you go, no matter what you do, you're the church. You're the definition of the church if you believe in Jesus. The church is everywhere, even in the heart and mind of the person you disagree with. Remember, what do you focus on? The good things or the bad things? Those who follow Jesus, or are you focusing on those who hate Jesus and those who wanted to kill Jesus? 
We need to see the church for what it really is. And you ought to take great comfort in that. Even the person that you don't agree with can give their life completely to Jesus Christ. And so there are friendly faces. If you'll open your eyes and see them for what they really are, see this profession for what it really is, there are friendly faces all around you. Your church, your brothers and sisters are all over the world. They're in the middle of the Republic of Congo. They're they're on the tundra in Siberia. They're on some island in the Pacific. They're in the middle of New York City. They're on some fishing boat off the coast of Denmark. They're on the southern tip of South America. They're 30,000 feet in the air right now flying over our heads. Your brothers and sisters, the church, forget about the disagreements. Their profession of faith to give their lives for salvation to Jesus Christ. Your brothers and sisters are in churches. They're in schools and hospitals. They're in capital buildings. They're in law firms. Well, all right. Let's not get carried away. Okay. Now, I'll tell you, some of the greatest men and women you'll meet are ones that have love for the law. I know there's at least one that's in a law firm, right? They're on the line at Honda. Your brothers and sisters, the church is at a construction site building great, big, neat things. They're in a mechanic's garage. They're in a combine in the field. Church, we miss them too often because we see their incompleteness, ignoring our own you got to see this thread that runs through their lives. The thread is the same that what goes into ours. Our Father sees you and me and them through the perfection of Jesus Christ. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this wake-up this refresher. We thank you that we can see even in your servant Paul that he struggles with this incompleteness. And Father, we do too. We ask that you help us to see our brothers and sisters in Christ not by their incompleteness, but by the completeness of Jesus Christ. Not by their, their process of sanctification, but by this, the, 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 the pure Son who died for them and died for us. And Father, you know, I know, we know that it is a struggle. It works on the pride. It works on the mind so much when we come up against someone we disagree with, whether it's a big thing or a small thing or a grand thing. Father, we need patience. We need the eyes of Christ to see this as a brother and sister that we just disagree with. We ask, Father, that you will sanctify them. We ask, Father, that you will strengthen them, that you will bless them. And in the process, open our eyes. Teach us. Help us to understand. Help us to realize that there's more we need to know, more we need to apply. Help us, Father, to see our brothers and sisters with the love of Jesus Christ. Everything else, allow everything else to come second. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
down, right? Yeah. Do you know all there is to know about Jesus? Neither do I. Neither do I. You think even someday you and I are going to disagree on something in life? You don't think so? I think so. I think eventually, I think eventually you and I are going to disagree on something and then we're going to see the face of Jesus Christ and you and I are going to know fully just as we are known. That's what I think. And I think you're going to encounter a lot of people in this life. You're going to encounter a lot of people that don't treat uh, uh, people with the love of Jesus Christ, okay? Don't let them be the standard of your conduct, okay? Don't stoop. Don't stoop. If you stoop, you already lose, okay? Don't let them be the standard of your conduct. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love of Christ. We thank you, Father, that we can disagree. We thank you, Father, that we can grow and that we can understand and that we can love each other and we can care about one another. Father, we do ask that our eyes be opened what is real, what is true, what is, uh, what is accurate. Father, that you work on each one of our lives, and certainly as we encounter, as we talk to, as we engage in people around our home and our workplace and our culture, that we know that they can accept Christ and they can be our brothers and sisters too, living eternally, Father. That they get the same gift that we get. That they don't earn anything, just as we don't earn anything. They get this incredible gift. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.